Hello, everybody. Mike Erie and Tim Stafford, the Vox Podcast. Um, be, because we're middle-aged men and have nothing better to do, we have a podcast. That's why we're here. It's glorious. But today... <laughs> That's a great selling point. Today, yes, we, the world needs more. Although we, we started early. We were, we're over five years old. Uh, Timothy, just in case you were wondering, nice. yes. Yeah, so that, that's that in in podcast years, that is a thirty. That's a thirty <laughs> something. Um, um, we are joined today by one. Uh, well, I was going to say one of the favorite people I have met, and one of the favorite people I have followed on the tweet. So we're joined by two people. I just want to clarify. My friend Tyler, who has been on the show before, who is planning a church in Cincinnati. Tyler, hello. Hello, Mike. Tyler Cherneski yes. is a bit of a, a bit of a rock star. He was a well-known financier and architect in Kansas City, <laughs> and um, moved to Cincinnati to plant a church, which is awesome. Yeah. And um, would you say, Tyler, um, your commitment level to kelly clarkson is to what would you liken it i i have been a ranked member of her global fan club uh in the past she was by far you get that spotify wrap-up mike i know you probably had lots of pearl jam uh definitely in the top like point 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 whatever percent for kelly world so i'm so in i'm so in (laughs) is there is there a name for like are there the clarkstons i mean is it a is there a See, name for that Unfortunately, no. This this fan club, uh, gosh, it used to be called the Celebrities. I did not like that, and they've <laughs> since retired that name. So that feels like an intern's last decision was to start that group, and then it was ended. Um, so I, I was at one point a celebrity, but no more. I'm just, uh, I'm nice. crazy. Okay. I'm in. Okay. I'm dedicated. You know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and then. And then. Uh, introduce so so I get to to meet her for the very first time, but I followed her on Twitter for years. Um, Bridget Eileen Rivera, um, known as the Traveling Nun in my Twitter handles. Um, Bridget, hello! Thank you so much for joining us. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you and Tyler kind of know each other? Yeah, so um, Tyler and I uh, know each other, I guess, through the side B revoice um, celibate gay Christian conversation. Um, And we met each other, I guess, a couple years ago at revoice in, uh, what was that, 2018? Was it? Was that the St. Louis one? Yeah, in St. Louis. And um, we are connected to kind of, I guess, the same similar spheres within the gay Christian world. And um, that's how we met. And that's how we've known each other. And what do you what do you do besides unveil awesome tweets and and thoughts? <laughs> what What kind of consumes the rest of your life? So I spend most of my time researching and writing. Um, I'm I just this past year wrote a book on LGBTQ discrimination and um, lesser known um, is that I do research. I'm currently getting my PhD. I do research um, at the intersection of gender, sexuality, and crime. Um, and that sounds wow. really interesting to people. They're like, what, what does gender and sexuality have to do with crime? Well, that's a whole conversation that we can have at another podcast. Right, right, but, right. <laughs> but so that's what I spend most of my time uh, doing. Um, 
And uh, publicly, I spend a lot of time um, doing advocacy for um, L- LGBTQ Christians in particular. Yeah. And, and that's how I, I came across you and Tyler and Nate Collins and many others. Um, and this incredible movement of people who are kind of getting shot at from both sides of the equation. Um, can you, would you tell us just a little bit, we t- we've had the privilege of hearing a bit of Tyler's story in the past. Would you tell us just a little bit about um, how you came to this place of passion and advocacy and this particular topic, your book's coming out next year. Um, and it, and, and how, how has it been that, that this has become sort of a life focus for you? Yeah. So I, um, am a Christian and I'm also queer. I'm also a lesbian. Hold on. Hold on a second. I need to just stop you there. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> So, yeah, so those things are me. I am a Christian and I am also gay. And um, so I guess that right there um, is kind of, for me, the nexus of what kind of has propelled me into um, specifically LGBTQ advocacy, my um, experiences in the church, my experiences within Christianity, and just also seeing um, other LGBTQ Christians just really um, struggling to find a place for themselves in the church. And um, so experiencing that struggle, also seeing it has really, I guess, um, made that issue a very um, important thing for me to speak to, um, to increase yeah. awareness about it for people. Yeah. Um, what do you see happening in the church, kind of with the the church, whatever that means, that gives you hope for how things are going? Yeah. So, um there are a lot of things that that do give me hope um i think first and foremost i think that there is more awareness that is happening i think especially within uh, i guess the younger demographics loosely defined as like you know from like anywhere from like the 20s up to the 40s like you know that kind of demographic i think is really um open to the conversation and to learning new ways to think about LGBTQ people and new ways um, to engage that conversation. And so I see a lot of hope for the conversation um, turning a new leaf, uh, especially mm-hmm. as we look into the next few years uh, and you know where the church is headed. Um, I see a lot of hope for progress um, as people are, you know, especially with um, purity culture being challenged now. Um, And, you know, so much of um, an anti-gay sentiment in the church is so intricately wrapped up in purity culture. And so as people are beginning to kind of unpack purity culture and all of the ways in which that was not helpful for people, they're starting to see, oh, this also applies for talking about things like homosexuality and these other mm-hmm. issues. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I see I see there being a lot of hope for the conversation really moving in positive directions. 
What this is? Thank you for that. What, for this is a question for both of you. Um, how how did you guys or did you experience purity culture if you were raised in the church? Uh, I don't know, Tyler. I, I think yes. you were right, Bridget. I, I'm, I wasn't sure if you were as well. Yeah. So, what what was purity culture like for you, Tim? And I've talked about it a bit from our perspectives, but I'd love to hear what your experience with it was, and what were some of the core messages you received from it. I think a, a core message that I received, and then that was fascinating, is it mixed with my own journey through sexuality was like one of the worst things you you could do uh, with have sex with a girl because of my, you know, so me being a guy, the worst thing you can do to have sex with a girl because pregnancy is going to inevitably happen the first time you're going to ruin your life. It's going to make God so sad. And then no one will ever want to be with you again. And so I think that became in my experience internalized in such a way where it's like, okay, there's this other sexuality thing going on. I've got to work through the fact that I'm attracted to guys, but I guess I've dodged a bullet there and that the wrath of purity culture isn't coming down on me um, because I that's wow. not happening. So even as I was, and I know I shared this when I was on here last time, even as I was like hooking up with different guys or something in high school, that strangely got a purity culture pass because it wasn't fitting the very narrow definition wow. of what it meant to be quote unquote pure in purity culture standards as it was taught to me, which is fascinating. So I'm just chuckling about that now. Wow. But yeah, as long as like, well, man, as long as I'm not doing that, I guess I'm fine. Even though there was all this other <laughs> mess uh, happening in my life. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I never thought of that. That is so yeah. fascinating. Yeah. What about you, Bridget? Yeah, so I guess similar to Tyler, I grew up in um, like this context where having sex was like the worst thing that you could possibly do. But ironically, also, it was the best thing that you could possibly do at the same time. Um, and that's like always the, you know, contradiction within purity culture, like sex is the worst thing. But if you can hold out and just wait for like that magical day when you get married, then it is going to like, be the answer to everything in your life that you ever hoped and you ever dreamed for. And it's going to be incredible. Um, the, you know, ultimate fulfillment of everything. And so there's like, there's that contradiction. Um, and so, yeah, I was definitely taught to like see sex as like both like the worst possible mm. thing, but also like the thing that is the answer. Um, mm. and you know, marriage is, um, this like, you know, held up on this pedestal as like mm. the most wonderful thing in the world. The, you know, God's, the, God's best gift to mankind is what marriage is. Um, and um, it is the only reason why civilization has not crumbled um, into dust mm. yet is because we have marriage. Mm. Um, like all of these concepts, just like putting marriage on this huge, huge pedestal. And then, you know, for me as a woman also, you know, being taught, you know, these ideas that like I am responsible for uh, a man's um, sexual behavior, mm. um, how he responds mm. to me sexually. Um, mm. And it was very, you know, bizarre. I remember um, when uh, I, I remember reaching an age um, when I was, you know, started going through puberty and, you know, started, I guess, like what they say, becoming a quote unquote woman, whatever that means. Um, and <laughs> um, uh, suddenly all of these rules erupted in my life. Um, mm. I remember I was like leaning over a counter once 
Um, and like uh, a man came up to me and was like, oh my gosh, like stand up straight. Like, you know, how can you like lean over like that? And I was so, you know, taken back. Yeah. Cause I was like, what was I doing? I was like, I was just right. leaning and, you know, just chatting and, you know, but like apparently the way I was leaning, like with my, you know, you know, butt sticking out and like leaning over and you know, it's just apparently that was enough to cause a man to stumble which I was then responsible for. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the, all of these rules, you know, just erupt in your life. Um, and, uh, you know, it's very confusing, you know, when you're a woman. Oh. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, these, you know, ideas of, you know, female submission and, you know, you have to, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. submit to the men, which then kind of turns into this, again, this idea that like, women are responsible for men's behavior and, you know, anything that, you know, they do wrong is actually something that you did wrong. And, you know, it all just kind of gets wow. very, you know, jumbled up. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I, I say all that, I, 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 you know, had a, you know, great childhood um, and, you know, I'm very grateful for my upbringing. Um, but, you know, those things definitely stick with you um, and really uh, leave a yeah. mark and, you know, really make it hard to, you know, when you start asking, you know, hard to answer questions, um, you know, it really, it really starts to, you know, leave you without very many good answers. <laughs> yeah. Can you remember, can you remember a couple of, were there, were there moments in your, that stick out in either of your minds where the, the the those messages sort of fell apart for you? I think where purity culture ultimately failed me as I got more serious about following Jesus is just what do you do when you are so <laughs> impure? Uh, I really, I mean, wow. by the time that I'm serious about, okay, you know, in college, my story, okay, I'm serious about following Jesus again. I mean, in a very real sense, it's like, gosh, is it too late? I mean, there's way too many people out there in the world that I've been with. I mean, it's just one of those things like, holy cow, uh, if this is the best that even, you know, a church or Christian community has to offer, I feel ineligible. Um, it's like the one, and this guy, Richard Beck, has a great book called Unclean about mm -hmm. purity. And when he talks, I mean, he has all these excellent illustrations, but one of them, like just the, you know, the smallest drop of urine and a big glass of wine taints the whole thing. And it's, you know, he's queuing into the psychology of disgust and it's like sure as soon as he does that illustration it's like yeah i don't want to drink the pee wine but it's also like if yep. you make that a human being is that really true and how does that work and what does our faith say and it, oh. i mean it's fascinating stuff to me but i think i where it failed me was where it's like okay now if i'm serious about following jesus and people are pointing me to these resources i feel automatically ineligible from the beginning like doomed before you start oh my goodness Right, which, which, which Bridget, gosh, I, I have, Mike, I know, Tim, I know this is your guy's show. I just have this, this burning no, do question it, for you, do it, do it, do it, do well, it. No, Bridget, as you've studied, I'm fascinated, like criminality and criminalization. How have you, or have you seen parallels between your study of like criminology, what it means to be criminal and purity culture like that? And help me. I think I felt that way. I never thought about it until you mentioned your other research. But I mean, what do you? What are those connections that you see? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, there's so many connections that can be made. But uh, one of them that I think is interesting is just the uh, ways in which, um, like, this concept of traditional family values um, came to be. Um, 
uh, weaponized politically. Um, and when, especially when you look at the 80s, um, which is when we really see um, evangelicalism really finally came to align itself with republicanism. Um, what you see in this, and I, and I talk about this um, a little bit in my book, um, you see what's called in criminology the creation of a folk devil. Um, and what a folk devil is, is it's when um, these very like sensationalized accounts of um, moral decline get attached mm. to a scapegoat and they get blamed mm. for all of the social evils that are going wow. on. Wow. Um, and so folk devils um, are very common um, throughout history. Uh, during the Salem witch trials, um, mm. the women that were burned at the stake and called witches, quote unquote witches, um, those were folk devils. You know, they, there was a lot mm. of fear and panic over spiritual, you know, decline and sin and the devil coming to like, you know, you know, I don't know, take us or whatever. And so like the, the you know, these women were then labeled witches and they hmm. were burned at the stake. And we see that also, um, you know, the Holocaust is another example. Um, Jewish people were a folk devil. Um, you know, there was a lot of panic and worry about German decline during this time. And so, uh, you know, Jewish people got all of the blame for that. Um, and so we saw that happen in the 80s. Um, with the creation of um, a gay folk devil where gay people kind of like, wow, you see this like, yeah, like traditional family values and this panic that the family is in yeah. decline, that marriage is under attack, that like everybody is going off the sexual deep end. Um, and so uh, gay people were like the perfect scapegoat for all of those fears, all of those worries. Um, mm. And um did that correspond at all to the rise of AIDS, well, uh, at it, least in the yeah. national stage? Yeah, it was, you know, really interesting because AIDS then erupted, you know, in what was it, 1981, um, right around the same time that this was going on. And, you know, homosexuality was being heavily, heavily criminalized at this time. Um, and, you know, conservative evangelicals had just started in 79 um, this massive campaign to um, uh, prevent uh, gay people from um, having protection against employment discrimination. Um, so all of this is going on, homosexuality is criminalized, and then um, in 81, AIDS erupts, and it was like, see, God agrees. <laughs> And wow. uh, I remember that. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have all of these things going on. And like, it was like gay people were the perfect person to blame for all of the bad things happening with sex, marriage, and family. Um, and, mm. I, and you still see that to this day. You still mm. see that where, you know, anything that goes wrong um, in society, you know, it's the gays, it's the gay agenda. Um, and, you know, people have such a hard time not associating gay people with this anti-Christian, anti-family, anti-marriage agenda that really is the creation of, you know, a phantom in people's imagination. Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, you can, you get to interrupt and ask questions anytime if that's the kind well, of 
That's the kind of stuff you're bringing to this. Wow. Well, because I took a class on criminal. So Khalil Muhammad, you might know him, uh, Bridget, the Schoenberg Center mm -hmm. in, uh, there in New York. So talking about the, his book is The Condemnation of Blackness. Okay. But similarly, mm -hmm. he uses data to talk about how did we get this view of a black criminal in mind and uses social science data. It's phenomenal. But I mm -hmm. wondered if there was a similar story. And I mean, everything you're saying, Bridget, it just clicks for me. And to see it play out culturally mm -hmm. and then also play out in churches too. Yep. I mean, I know we've talked before, even Mike and Tim last time we were here, but inconsistencies in church world where there's a sharp laser eye on any, you know, sexual sin related to gay folks, but holy cow, all the intentional blind spots for any other kind of sexual <laughs> sin out there in the church. And honestly, Bridget, this folk devil piece, I mean, is helping me make sense of that or think about why, mm. why is one thing the scapegoat when there's all these other things that according to Jesus's teaching aren't, you know, this isn't God's ideal either. <laughs> and yet total yeah. intentional blind spots there. I mean, yeah. oh, just fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah, divorce is at the top of that list, um, <laughs> right? The, the the just great permissiveness of divorce, mm -hmm. yeah. um, the 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 acceptance of contraception. I mean, there mm -hmm. there are so many tectonic shifts in evangelical thought and practice. Yep. And so so how? Uh, first of all, this is uh, thank you both. I mean, th th I'm always struck by the heavy. Um, the heavy loads you've had to carry, um, and the the what right, your book's named Heavy Burdens, right? Yep, that's the name. Which which totally, yeah. I, I, if not, it should be because I no I. Um, <laughs> but but as I'm hearing you speak, I'm like, okay, I I came out of purity culture, um, with with some jacked up stuff. Let alone wrestling with my, you know, what what it would have been like wrestling with a sexuality that. The, all I heard from the church was just it's unmentionable. Like you don't you don't talk about gay. Um, that's not a category that's even discussed. You just have premarital sex and adultery, and that's it. Um, what I mean, and and I don't want to rush to to this, but I'm I'm so freaking curious. What does a robust theology of sexuality, if 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 we had agree? That purity culture wasn't it. Um, and we still think there's room somewhere for Jesus's ethic. Um, what is a what is a what is a healthy or healthier uh, theology of sexuality look like today? Um, based on what you guys have experienced and what you've learned and what you've seen, where, where do we where do we start with that conversation? I'll let you go first, Tyler. I was going to point you out. Um, so, man, I, so maybe just for everybody else, the more brilliant answer is coming after this one. I, what I'd want to do to start is to probably contextualize human sexual relationships along line other, alongside other forms of human relating. So what I think Bridget so already said so well is that one of the errors in purity cultures you make, you know, sex the great devil and the greatest good of human, uh, you know, just of human existence. And right. so how do you put sex back in a spot where it has a place? It's one way that humans relate. And this is how, you know, again, Mikey said, how do we put Christian conviction around it? This is how Jesus defined this way we relate. But look, there's also this way we relate. And there's being friends and there's being neighbors and there's being coworkers and there's being good. Um, and some of that I think would be just so helpful uh, 
for all people, for gay people. I mean, specifically gay people that might have a Christ following ethic similar to Bridget and I's where it's like, gosh, we just, we see following Jesus as being something that means we don't have a sexualized gay relationship. It's like, well, if that's the case, then holding up sex as the greatest human good and then saying you can't have it isn't quite working. Placing it alongside (laughs) other other types of relating and talking about how those work together could be more helpful. And the other piece I'd want to do that again, if I'm thinking purity culture, no one in church world ever prepared me for bad sex. Uh, no one prepared me for gay sex either. And then maybe this is too, if we need to label this podcast E for explicit Tim, go for it. But I think that that, that's another reality of something missing in church teaching is just like, you know, there is, um, that promise that you again you mentioned bridget is like if you wait 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 it's gonna be great yeah. uh it's just like gosh what kind of help does that do uh for sisters and brothers that you know have bought into that message and that hasn't been the experience there oh. aren't conversations in churches i've been a part of about no. bad sex the difficulties the challenges how to work yeah. through stuff it's a go to this counselor i mean that is another entirely missing conversation that i think if it was placed alongside other forms of human relating we can get help in any of these forms of relating in the same way that you'll get counseling here. You can get counseling there. I mean, there's so many things I would do to change that up, but that's, those are my first few stabs in the dark. Yeah. Boy, that's excellent. It really, it really strikes me that the church has contributed to the idolization of the very thing it's yep. been trying to war against. Right. I mean, it's, right? it's mm-hmm. actually, it's actually facilitated the brokenness. And, and I knew, I guess I knew that, um, you know, abstractly, but hearing you guys, I'm like, oh yes, this, that totally makes sense. Of course, it's just a way of relating. Mm -hmm. It's not the greatest good, it's not the greatest evil. I'm sorry, Bridget, I I know you were getting wound up. I just want to say though, Tyler, that was fairly brilliant, okay? No doubt, no doubt Bridget, Bridget's gonna come and rock it, but I'm just saying that was solid, man. That was a solid intro. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think that was an intro at all. I think that was like, that was the meat. That was like right there. That was good. Um, And I 100% agree. And I mean, like you already said, you know, so much that like I could have said. So like anything that I say is just like, you know, sprinkles on top. I'm just like adding, adding thoughts. (laughs) But um, yeah, just like, again, to like sprinkle a few other thoughts on top, I would say. Um, And this is completely in line with what Tyler was pointing about, about like this idea that like sex is either the greatest evil or the greatest good. I think alongside with like dialing that back and placing it alongside other things that have the potential for good as well as bad. um, Mm. I think also we need to take away this idea that what you believe about sexual ethics decides whether you go to heaven or go to hell. Um, Mm. Because I think ultimately that is a um, denial of the gospel message. Um, And when we tell people that um, you have to believe X, Y, Z thing, and you have to believe in accordance to those beliefs, well, then where does the gospel fit into that? If we're saying that you have to believe X, Y, Z thing related to sexuality in order to get into heaven, Mm -hmm. Um, and the gospel doesn't fit into that. And what winds up happening, for um, LGBTQ people in particular is um, their faith comes to rest on their sexuality 
and it, you know, rises and falls on whether or not you get the questions that you ask about your sexuality, right or wrong. Hmm. Um, and that hmm. to me is, a, you know, you know, anti-gospel, it is a, you know, threat to the Christian faith itself when we say that in order to get into heaven, you have to get your sexuality right and you have to believe mm. the right things about it um, mm. in order to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a doozy. Yeah. What, what do you, how do you see that? Were you going to say something, Tyler? I didn't know if that it was a It looked like you were hand. about to say something. So. Yeah, do it, do it. I don't want to interrupt. You guys are going. Great. Well, no, I just, so this is where I need your help, Bridget. And it's just so good to see you. I can't wait to, to be, can be together in person again and talk for hours. But here's, here's something I felt. So we've been pastoring at our little church. What is going on in me, be my counselor for a hot second, where when I pastorally encounter people, even coming to our, you know, little church, if we want to talk, we're over coffee, we're meeting on Zoom, and there's divorce in their background, my immediate urge is to go straight to like, gosh, and Jesus still accepts you. And, you know, there's a place for you here in our church, and we're so glad you're here. And, and there's no checks in my spirit, even it's like I'm you know, I'm already kind of like, well, if they show up and they're going to remarry someone, I'd probably do it in our church. Well, you know, I mean, all these things, it's just like, I'm, I'm conditioned that way. And yet, and we have a lot of gay folks at our church and I love it that way, but it's like, there is some of that, even in my own heart. And I can consider myself really invested in this world. And I love gay folks and I'm one of them, you know, and it's, but it's just like, there's still that pause sometimes to everything you're saying. Where it's like, well, yeah, but following Jesus, but this, but what if we don't do that? But what is this going to look like? And what path are you on? And how are you doing it? I mean, how, What's going on inside me? Do you have any thoughts? Maybe that's a too bad of a question, but have you noticed that similar tension between like, gosh, I'm almost conditioned, habituated in this evangelical space to have big, massive grace for so many other things. And we're going to turn the blind eyes, isn't even the right word, but it's like, this is fine. And we'll fall in grace for that. And we'll see you in heaven, even though you've been married twice before, and this is your third marriage and your third church. And who knows what happened on those first two? And I don't even know why they happened. And you're probably not even being fully forthcoming. And yet my dear gay friends in our church that I, again, I love and can relate to. It's like, I still get this, you know, little tighten chest sometimes when we're talking, not that it's the judging, like I'm thinking, oh, you're going to hell, but it's like, am I being a good pastor? I mean, I immediately second guess myself all the time. Am I doing the right thing? What do I do with that, Bridget? Yeah. Help, help me. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think well, you, what is that? Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I think you already, um, you know, said it yourself, just in identifying the ways in which all of us are almost programmed to give grace to every heterosexual sin that we can fathom. Um, and for some reason, we don't give that to people who are gay. Um, and so, you know, you brought up, you know, examples of like divorce, remarriage, there's also contraception. And, um, you know, those are really thorny questions for straight people. Um, but for some reason, they're not treated as very thorny questions. Um, and yet, historically, um, you know, the Christian church was, you know, very, very, um, you know, had a very, very strong stance against those things. Um, and so, you know, to me, you know, this, I, I think we already kind of have this understanding that giving people grace when it comes to sexual ethics 
is better than giving people judgment. And I think we already have that for straight people, um, even for you know these very difficult questions related to um, you know uh, topics that maybe most straight people don't even think are that seriously. You know, I, I sometimes talk to, you know, straight people and, I, and they're like, well, you know, same sex marriage is a threat to the definition of marriage. And I'm like, well, what do you think, what do you think divorce is and remarriage? Like if, if same sex marriage is a threat to the definition of marriage, then like, how is divorce and remarriage not? Um, and, and they'll say, well, you know, marriage is, you know, a lifelong union between one man and one woman. Uh, and I'm like, well, yeah, but like, why are you so, you know, intent on that one man, one woman part? What about the lifelong union part? That's part of the Christian, you know, definition. Uh, you know, contraceptive sex is another thing. You know, I'll, I'll talk to some straight people who will be like, well, gay sex is just so unnatural. It's like against God's design. Um, that's why it's, you know, you, you know, you can't be a Christian um, if, you know, you're doing this terrible thing. Uh, but then I'm like, well, what is contraceptive sex? If, if gay sex is unnatural and like, that's like an abomination because of that. Well, then what is contraception? Like, what is contraceptive sex? Um, <clears throat> so we see all of these contradictions and I like, and I don't think that's a reason to like suddenly go around judging all the straight people because let's yeah. be real, if we uh, use that bar, the bar that straight people use for gay people, if we use that bar yeah. for everyone, like nobody's getting into heaven except Mother Teresa and like maybe like a few other people. Like nobody's getting into heaven <laughs> because that bar is not realistic. We understand that. Um, and you know, that Bible verse that says with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Well, let's take that measure that is used on gay people and let's see if this works for everybody else. And the answer is it doesn't um, because when we make our salvation dependent upon our sexual beliefs and our sexual behavior, then our salvation is no longer dependent on Jesus Christ, who is supposed to be our savior. Um, and so I think like, we have to like dial this back. We have to like rethink about this. And the answer is not like, let's judge and condemn everybody. The answer is let's think about how to apply the grace of the gospel to everybody, gay people included. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that is, as a um, uh, a pastor for many many years, that that I think was when this conversation became real to me, was when the double standards became so glaringly obvious. Mm -hmm. So I I hear that and repent, um, and 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 yearn for the church's repentance over that. So if you take that out of salvation, I mean, part of what I hear in Tyler's question is okay so let's move into the area of discipleship where 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 does the ideal come in so so to my way of thinking and correct me here to my way of thinking if the ideal is applied universally then i'm okay with it being used meaning just because i'm i'm, I'm a heterosexual man and i'm married doesn't mean i'm living up to the genesis one and two ideal Right. Not not simply in virtue of that. There's there's a whole bunch of commitments under that mm -hmm. that represent the idea. So I don't measure up to the Genesis one and two ideal in my mind. Where where does that the 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 holding out for the ideal, where does that come in to play in a in a gracious 
um, healthier sort of sexual the, theology of sex. Does that make sense? You see what I'm asking? Yeah, yes. Is a I, test I, for I heaven? You are absolutely right. None of us, none of us, um, none of us measure up to that. No way. And that double standard needs to be repented of. But when I'm when I'm sitting with somebody who's considering their third divorce or thinking about having an affair, there's a part of me that wants to, if they if they claim to be a Jesus follower, to say, hey, there is this path that we're that we're that we're to aim for. So where where does that come in? Do you think? It, it, is that the check, me, Tyler? I'm starting to. Is that the check in your spirit? Yes, Mike, that is the hardest thing. Well, and here's what I've done. So I, I get to talk a lot about sexuality stuff and it's fun and I love it. But one of the things I've shifted, you know, so I've gotten many different scripts over the years or many ways I presented it in telling my own story now and probably in light of people like Bridget that have shaped me and helped me think uh, better. I, I usually share my story now and I now want to add the ingredient of time into my story for people that Come are listening on. and help them say, hey, the fact that I'm, you know, following this path of celibacy and I think Jesus is the absolute, like, like the most beautiful person in the world, worth <clears throat> emulating in every way. Sweet Jesus was single. I can be too. I mean, all that stuff there. It's like, that wasn't a, I heard one speaker and made that commitment. That's been a brewing over a decade journey of falling more and more in love with Jesus and saying, okay, even though this, feels difficult and tough and maybe impossible. Oh, and am I stupid? Totally. And am I going to regret this? And how's this going to work out? It's like, okay, I'm like, I'm signing up for the Jesus following piece. So I don't think it fully answers, you know, everything that you just asked there, Mike, because yeah, pastorally, there are those moments where it's like, Hey, stop, you know, change. No, that's not a great idea. And yet when I'm talking specifically, maybe in my mind, when I'm thinking, talking to other gay folks, mm -hmm. uh, I always want to add in time is another yeah. element of spiritual formation and growth. And I think, you know, to your point, Bridget, what are some of the things that we've allowed some folks to have in their journeys and not allowed other people oh, to have? That's, yes, time, yes. time feels like an ingredient of spiritual growth that yes. just hasn't been permitted uh, for yeah, any kind of sexual minority to take their time and enjoy. I mean, it's one yep. of the first things I say, honestly, uh, when people want to meet and talk about, oh, my, my coming out and all this that's happening, it's just like, okay, like, I hope you realize this isn't our one coffee and this isn't the one month thing. It's like, we're gonna, you know, for a year now, here's some books and let's read all these different perspectives. I mean, I don't just recommend people that I would fully, fully agree with. And the thing is, cause I trust, I also trust too. It's like, man, if you see Jesus for who Jesus really is, I think you'll think he's worth following. But if we don't read widely now and talk widely now, you'll have that crisis of faith later and throw it all away. So let's take our time. Mm -hmm. Let's count the costs and go, but yeah, all that to say. Time, yes, I think no, is one that's so good. Mm -hmm. And before we go to you, Bridget, because I'm waiting for the canon. Um, <laughs> uh, Tyler, I think that's so because because I can I hear. So when I when I when I talk this way about double standards and grace and permission and time, one of the things I I hear is, yeah, but but you still have to preach the ideal. You still have to hold out the ideal, and I found that that that. Okay, but what they mean by that is a bait and switch. It's, hey, you're welcome as a gay person to our church, but you're not allowed, you know, to your two years in, and then you're not allowed to be in leadership or serving children's or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's that, that sort of thing. Um, and so I think what you're, I, I, I find that so 
so incredibly powerful because that I see that double standard probably the clearest. Hey, I was divorced 10 years ago. I've grown a lot since. You know, we wouldn't just sit and have huge questions about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Or I'm struggling with porn. You know, it's been a been an issue for me, right? It just that's all just sort of given permission to grow and develop. And you're so right. This is not Bridget. Go. Yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah, Tyler, you're you know right on the money. There's there's no space to grow. There's no space um, to question, especially. And mm. I think um, that is you know, especially important for churches to give gay people, give them space to question without mm. telling them what the answers are supposed to be in order for them to maintain their good standing in the church. Um, so many people that I've talked to discussed the, the pressure, how suffocating the pressure is when you exist within a context where you cannot by definition you cannot question because you know that if you arrive at an answer that is different than what the pastor arrives at then you're out you're done bye mm. Uh, mm. and there's there's no space for intellectual honesty in an atmosphere mm. that predicates your acceptance upon arriving at the correct conclusion. Um, like nobody can grapple with their faith, um, honestly, um, in an atmosphere where you uh, um, have to arrive at the same answer that the pastor does. Otherwise, you're not part of the team anymore. And so I think, you know, in addition to giving people time um, to grow, um, also space to, you know, maybe come to conclusions that are different than what the pastor comes to um, and have that be okay um, and respect their faith journey um, and their ability to wrestle with scripture um, honestly, and follow this, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit and the lead of the Holy Spirit in their own lives. And yeah, that might be something that, you know, the pastor, you know, disagrees with and other people in the church disagree with, um, and, you know, it might not be the perspective that he preaches and he teaches from. Um, but it, if we don't give people this intellectual freedom to grapple with their faith and really like ask questions um, to come to you know answers from scripture, if we if we say if we tell people you can only ask questions that have answers the pastor gives you, then people aren't going to be really able to come to an honest place in their sexual um, in their sex lives with their sexuality. It's going to be just a, a performance. It's going to be an outworking of legalism. Um, and, you know, people, you know, really question this and they're like, how is that, how can that be possible? Because like, you know, sin and, you know, I'm going to be letting them fall into sin. And, um, and, you know, I think there's like such an obsession with like people falling into sin um, when it comes to this question that there's no ability to see that the ways that we, the pressures that we put on people are counterintuitive. And they, uh, you know, accomplish the exact opposite of what people want to accomplish. Um, and we don't treat mm. other theological questions this way. Like, you know, and I, I think the, you know, doctrine of baptism is a really good example 
Um, like baptism is like a sacrament. It's written in the creeds for crying out loud. Like Jesus is like, or like, the, like the New Testament is like on record saying that like baptism saves you. Like this is like integral to the faith. And yet like I have never been hauled into a pastor's office and uh, told that like I was risking my salvation or like I might get kicked out of the church because I was questioning whether I was, uh, you know, whether I believed in infant baptism or believer's baptism. Like nobody has ever done that to me. And like the question of baptism is huge, huge. Like, like 500 years ago, people were killing each other over this. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's that big of a topic in Christianity. Um, and yet now we have learned to give space um, to people to think differently, believe differently without necessarily being like, you're not one of us anymore. You know, you can't, you're not really a Christian. Um, we're not going to associate with you cause you're a sinner. Um, and so, you know, I think we need to learn how to have that same kind of like respect across differences, um, across differences of conclusion that, you know, um, and give people the benefit of the doubt, like, you know, believe that their conclusions that they've come to are, you know, theologically driven and scripture driven and, you know, done through the, you know, lead of the Holy Spirit, I think is, is just really important um, in order for people that do ultimately pursue um, traditional approaches to sexual ethics, in order for that to be healthy, um, in order for that to come from a place that is, you know, legitimately pursuing Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 And not just conforming to the pressure, play acting for acceptance. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Exactly. Oh my goodness, you guys. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I just I want to do this for the next couple of hours. Um so so first of all, I'm going to I'm going to I, I'm gonna cut us off. Yes. That was outstanding. <laughs> um, Tyler and Bridget, tell us w where people can find you online, if you'd like. You don't need to or have to, but if you'd like to tell us where you're found or uh, Tyler, what your church is or any of that stuff, tell us. Yeah, our, uh, our new baby church is in the heart of Cincinnati. You can read all about yes. it. It's City Church OTR. That's for the neighborhood over the Rhine. So citychurchotr.com. That's probably the best spot. And I love City this church in Bridget. You, I mean, you're always an encouragement, but you're an encouragement this morning to me to continue to lean into some of the things we're leaning into in that little church. I mean, everything you're sharing of how does this work and how do you have a pastor who's pretty committed to a strong side be ethic and yet a big old group of people that may or may not agree. I mean, it's, anyway, you're inspiring me to think better about that. But citychurchotr.com, we love it. Love this church and what God's doing there. Yeah. Yeah, and Tyler, you're on the, t the tweets. I, I as well. yeah, you know, I mainly just I'm liking stuff. I'm giving Kelly Clarkson updates. Yeah. You know, it's uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's you're my channel. You're, you are my sole channel to Kelly, who's had a rough yeah, year this year. Rough year yeah. So I'm sorry about that. Yeah, Bridget, how about you? 
Um, uh, you can uh, find me online um, at my website, BridgetEileenRivera.com. You can get to my blog from there as well as, you know, my other stuff. You can also uh, follow me on Twitter at TravelingNun. And yes. then also I've recently started becoming more engaged in Instagram. And so if you like Instagram and stuff like that, um, I'm on Instagram at Bridget Eileen Rivera. I love it. My goodness. It's such a delight. Timothy, uh, Tim told me, he texted me and he's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be super quiet on this. Uh, which is shocking because he's so talkative normally. Uh, but Timothy, you get the last word, my friend. Anything you want to add or any exclamation points you want to give? No, I. This was uh, this was wonderful. I think that that folk devil thing is is huge. Growing up in uh, in the '80s, with focus on the family, right? Do that was the Dobson era of church formation. Um. That's a, I experienced that exact thing from from that vantage point. So there's a lot of unwiring to do with that. Mm. I do think that you guys are doing a wonderful job of tearing down those folk devils. Mm. So I think that's pretty rad. So this is very encouraging and informational for me, educational. I think I just yeah. you guys are you guys are rock stars. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, really. I mean, it's I learned so much from you both, and I'm so grateful for. Your heart for Jesus, your heart for people, your heart for his church, even though the church is, you know, we've uh, we've really dropped it and hurt a lot of people on these on these topics. So um, anyway, I want to thank you both very much for your time today. Appreciate you. Thank you. Look forward to talking again. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast and on Twitter, at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.